0: And we're back with Shelly Kerr. Shelly, where do people get the book, The Goddess Discovered?
1: Um, it is on Amazon and all other major retailers. You can see the link on pastlifelady.com.
0: Was this one of your more difficult books to write?
1: This is the most difficult um, <laughs> book that I've ever written. There's there's no doubt about it. I I couldn't believe it. There were times when I was just hoping I could continue to get through it, and I did. So, Lots of research, lots of books read uh, to do this one.
0: Indeed, indeed. Of all the areas of the various deities, is there one area that is a little bit more stranger than the other?
1: I think, you know, when readers read it, I think everybody's going to experience this differently. But when I was writing it, you know, to put yourself into all of these different places, the one that was really daunting to me, which is really strange, is the Celts. And I started thinking about why that might be, and I think that's because of my ancestral heritage. I think there was part of my soul that was saying, hey, I can't mess this up. You know, I need to get this right. And it just gave me a very strange feeling. And when I wrote Ancient Lands, I was inviting people to kind of go through the ancient world and see, like, how they feel. And I think readers are going to do the same. Some some areas are going to be feeling a little bit daunting, and then other areas they're going to really love. Some they may not notice as much. I mean, I, I think that you go on a real journey when you even read something like this, let alone try to write something like this.
0: What if the masculine and the feminine are one of the same?
1: Well, I think they really are. They're just two aspects of the same, right? It's really one whole. We're just bringing out different qualities in a whole thing. That's why I've never been one to say, hey, we, you know, it can't just be all goddesses. It can't be all gods. It's got to be this balancing of masculine and feminine, Balance so, being the goal.
0: In your past books, of course, Ancestral Healing, do they tie into this?
1: In the sense that I'm still talking about genealogical regressions, yes. Um, I wanted to put the genealogical regression into The Goddess Discovered because of, like I mentioned before, there's some aspect of our past lives that I think will be awakened by reading about these different world religions, but also there's that other thing that's even deeper, which is that ancestral connection. And so um, I I really invite people to consider, if they are familiar with their ancestry, to just take a look at some of the things that our ancestors thought about and and worshipped in ancient times. It's pretty interesting to do.
0: And what happens, Shelley, if somebody does not tap into the feminine part of their life?
1: Well, I mean, I think everything, again, is about that balance, um, that that aggressive masculine energy is good, we have to get things going and moving, but at times we need to allow things to come to us and be more receptive and intuitive, so I think it's, it's good to do both, and I think it, everybody in life, I think, is trying to do the best they can, and there's problems and things going on, and we can get out of balance in different ways, so... I think as a collective, the society is moving towards just starting to open up to this idea that we need to be paying attention a little bit more to our feminine side.
0: When people go to your website, what do they find? What do you recommend?
1: Um, We've got links to all my books are there. Um, I've got my podcast. I've got my YouTube channel and different resources. My online school, I've got different recordings. If readers want to purchase a copy of this book, they can... I've got my email address there. They can email me a receipt, and they will receive a free guided imagery journey from the book.
0: If people want to get past life regressions, do you do that too?
1: I am doing some, um, and I've got online courses for that as well through the online platform.
0: Let's go to the phones. Let's start with going to Myat in the city of New York. Hello, Mayat.
2: Yes. Good morning. What a fascinating program. And certainly in this present world where we can't figure out how to keep killing and warring against each other, the goddess must be uh, supreme. Now, I have just one question uh, this morning, and I'll listen over the air. Um, Shelly, I'm wondering if you're familiar with Nikki, N-I-K-K-I, or N-I-C-K-I, Scully, S-E-C-U-L-L-Y, who has codified, and is in her book called Sekhmet, uh, an Egyptian comedic goddess, S-E-K-H-M-E-T. Transformation in the Belly of the Goddess is the subtitle, and this alchemical process, very much is seemingly along the lines, and I think it's brilliant your use of uh, Casey's work. And the forward is by Normandy Ellis, and Hank Wesselman, PhD. And if you're not familiar with her work, I feel assured that you will give some commitment to explore her alchemical uh, transformation project. And if you have my question, Shelley, I'll listen over the air. Thank you, George.
0: Thank you, Maya. Go ahead, Shelley.
2: Thank you, my Um,
1: Yes, actually I have heard of Nikki Scully's book on Sekhmet. Sekmet was the Egyptian goddess of war. The lion-headed goddess is, uh, very, um very popular. And I've heard of her work, yes. There's an energy healing there as well. And some of my students also follow that work. So, yeah, excellent.
0: There must not be a lot of people, though, who have investigated these. What do you think?
1: I um, I had heard of Nikki Scully and some others who have gotten into it. Um, I know Llewellyn had somebody. I can't remember her name, but she had a, an Egyptian oracle deck that came out a couple of years ago that was really good. So I think the ancient Egyptians are still... Much in our collective consciousness. Everybody loves them, but maybe not as many people writing about it.
0: Next up, Louise in Kentucky, who, under her past life regression, believes she is Cleopatra. Did you ever undergo past life, Louise? How'd you realize you are Cleopatra? Uh,
3: Goldberg, Bruce Goldberg, help me.
0: Oh, Bruce said, Dr. Bruce. Okay. Yes. Go ahead, Shelly.
3: I wanted to say, you know, being the reincarnated Cleopatra, which I. No, I am. She never married, but she always had a male to balance her. But uh, one was Caesar and the other was Mark Anthony. But yeah. before Caesar and Mark Anthony, she had her own brothers, because Ptolemy the twelfth had five children, three girls, Cleopatra was the third, and two boys. The two younger brothers, which were the thirteenth and fourteenth, were the king with Cleopatra, but she had both of them killed. But I called the Metropolitan Museum in New York to ask where was this indicated on the tombs, and it is—they told me it was on made like the north, southeast side of the Temple of Hathor at Dendera.
0: What do you
1: think of that, Shell? I love it. Louise, we've talked before. I think it's fascinating. And I am a believer that this may be Cleopatra, folks. We're talking to her right now. And I'm so glad that you called us today.
0: I had a guest on who is an archaeologist, and he does a lot of work in Egypt, and she called in to talk to him this week. Mm -hmm. And I had him interview her as Cleopatra, and it was fascinating because she was talking about the tombs where they were hidden. And he said, you know what? You're right. Nobody else knows that. It was fascinating.
1: Wow. She's made me a believer. That's for sure.
0: Joe, Long Island, New York. Go ahead, Joseph.
1: Yeah. Hi,
4: Shelly. A couple of questions. Uh, My first question would be on, you were talking about lightening up and, uh, I don't think that's the way most people go these days when they have difficulties. I think they tend to charge ahead and double up their bets. Uh, So uh, I don't know if that's more of a feminine energy or it's also where people just tighten a noose on themselves too much and they should kind of give themselves more slack. But I do find that interesting. this idea of lightening up rather than uh, really trying even harder. Uh, and then my second question is about change. Uh, I think whether you're a male, female, or whoever you are, I don't think everybody starts in the same default position as per willpower. Uh, so it's hard to compare people, I think, because... Uh, not everybody has the same ability to conjure up, like, willpower and determination or go to the next gradation of that. So, And also, could you uh, repeat Oh, one more thing, too? I notice I, I, with the audio books, I prefer a woman, on average, doing the audio books. I don't know what that means. And also, could you repeat your podcast, what the name of that is?
1: Okay, yes. Thank you for calling, Joe. Um Let me see. Wow, you brought up a lot of good points. I think that you're right when you said that, you know, as a collective society, we do tend to double up and charge ahead and tighten the noose and all the things you were saying. I mean, that you know, there was that change in era from the Piscean Age to this age of Aquarius, you know, which is seen as a a very major shift in the way that we were doing things to the way we are now doing things. Um, this this doubling down kind of energy is na- just now starting to give way to being more open and, and allowing more energy in and things like that. You brought up also that everybody is different, and, and I couldn't agree more with that. Every single person, while I mentioned earlier that I think we all fundamentally have a lot of, of things in common, We still, each person is so unique because you have all of your past life experiences, you've got all your current life situations, how you were raised, the goals you have, where you were born and what you want to do with your life. And I think you're exactly right. Everybody's different and everybody has a completely different path. And you cannot, you can absolutely not judge somebody but just by looking at them because everybody's on a journey and um, everybody has their reason for being here.
0: Shelly, how did how did Edgar Casey get involved in this?
1: Oh, Casey's story—that's another great one. Um, he was very sickly as a child, and so they took him to a hypnotherapist. Finally, when he wasn't getting well, and so they told him to relax, and he went so deeply into trance that he began channeling that energy, that he called the source, and then the source started revealing all kinds of things about different prophetic events, um, health, um, ancient Egypt, and Casey's past lives there. So, yeah, pretty interesting stuff.
0: Would he admit the feminine uh, goddess that he got in touch with?
1: Yeah, I mean, he was talking a lot about different deities, um, particularly in Egypt and things like that, and how to, how to tap into that. Um, there was a whole series of readings on ancient Egypt where he talked about the temple beautiful, which is where people would go to raise their frequencies and to get into that divine feminine energy. Absolutely.
0: Let's go to Ruth in the state of Maryland. Hello, Ruth. Go ahead.
1: Hi, George and Shelley. Thank you for taking
3: my call. Sure Shelly, this is very interesting what you were talking about and the deities being in charge of different uh, situations and tasks and activities. And this is very, very similar to what we do in the Catholic Church with the saints. We call them patron saints, and we have a saint for just about everything. And I was just wondering what your thoughts were on that, and how does that compare to uh, what the people did back then with the sign and the deities? And thank you.
1: Ruth, it's so great to hear from you, and I think you make a, a great point. I mean, the saints in the Catholic Church or and in It's it's a perfect um, tie-in to the deities. If we're thinking about some of these ancient energies coming from the the earliest of times, the most primitive of times, and then evolving into um, the, the Catholic Church and other places, yes, absolutely, that every part of creation can be deified and blessed, and we can give thanks to all aspects of creation, absolutely.
0: We've got Leonardo in the state of Minnesota now. Hello, Leonardo. Go ahead.
5: Hello.
6: And I. your guest, I don't remember her name. Um, Shelly. Shelly, hello. Um, and and both of you guys, I'm, I'm kind of a little nervous here, but Shelly, you are phenomenal. Uh, I really like what you're talking about because we're talking about, as you say, primitive. because we have suppressed our energy, you know, especially males. You know, it's a male-dominated uh culture that we live in and, and and it does us disservice to not um accept our other side our feminine side uh, for males to to grow um if we um i'm again nervous to accept the other side of ourselves so i just wanted to say what you're talking about tonight i think that you're phenomenal um and i would like to have you guys put your book out there again and george um my aunt, I keep hearing her over the, over the air, and this lady is incredible. She's phenomenal. So that's all I wanted to say. Uh, you guys have me excited. I'm going to hang up and take care.
0: Okay, my friend. You want to react to some of that, Shell?
1: Thank you so much, Leonardo. I'm so glad you called in. Um, I think you have a great point, especially, you know, I mean, there, I don't think that men should be repressing their masculinity at all. And yet, can feelings and different things like that come out that more feminine side as well? So, again, in a balanced way. So I thank you for calling.
0: Lisa in North Carolina. Hey, Lisa, go ahead.
3: Hi. Um, hi, Shelly. Um, my question has to do with uh, the balancing of the divine masculine and divine feminine energies and specifically wanting to get your take on concepts like the twin flames, um, you know, and, and how they have the two separate energies and uh, their their mission and, and soul connections like that.
1: Yeah, Lisa, thanks for calling. Um, about well, let me get into the twin flames first. So, yeah, the twin flames is well. Very, what
0: are yeah. the what are the twin flames, Shelley?
1: It's the idea that there is one soul that split into two, and now these two individual people are on the earth. Sometimes. The one of the twins is not on the planet incarnate at the same time. It's it's still a little bit different than a soulmate. It's like they're two halves of the whole. Um, Some people believe in them. Some people don't. Um, I have a friend of mine who believes that we are twin flames. Um, And I'm starting to think that could be possible. You know, someone who you have a soul connection with. And, Lisa, you talked about the balancing. In in the book, I didn't mention this earlier, you know, there are exercises in there where we invite energy to come in, and we just invite. We're Again, we're not trying to say no to masculinity. We're just inviting those two energies to come in and, and become balanced within us. So that's one of the guided imageries in the book.
0: Shelley, does any of this scare you?
1: Does this goddess energy scare me? Um,
0: it can be abused, can it?
1: I think it can, yes. Um, I think it needs to be approached with great respect. I will say that for sure, yes. I think it needs to be approached with the ultimate respect.
0: And if you don't?
1: Um, I just think, again, even putting the book together or even as people read it, there's just so much energy there that one would just want to approach it with respect. One of the things I talk about in the book is this idea that We can't, like, I I can't really fully understand the depth of love that someone may have for their belief system and their religious faith, for example. And so I think that when we're talking about any religious faith or belief systems like that, we need to just treat this very respectfully and with the utmost sacred respect and honor.
0: Shelly's website, pastlifelady.com, is linked up at coasttocoastam.com. We're talking about her latest book that has just come out called The Goddess Discovered, Exploring the Divine Feminine Around the World. We're going to come back and wrap things up with her in just a moment on Coast to Coast AM. And welcome back, George Norrie with Shelly Care. Our final segment, her book is The Goddess Discovered. Let's go to Brian in Colorado. Welcome to the program. Hi, Brian.
5: Hi, George. Thanks a lot. For you on The Point and everybody else at Coast to Coast. and Shelley, thank, thank you, sir. You bet, sir. Uh, Shelley, ma'am, uh, I've never come across you before, but just from these few minutes uh listening, people that know you and you've helped a lot of people, so thank you for that. Uh, I'm an old guy. I'm a Buddhist for about 40 years, and uh, I... Uh, I'm very interested in past lives. There's, you know, obviously there's some back there, and some people seem to look at me like I'm somebody besides a a farm kid from Iowa. Mm. I've lived in Colorado about almost 50 years, but um, so anything and Egypt, obviously, very important. And Casey, I just love. That's that's why I'm still up. I. I've been trying to get my sleeping hours more regular, but I couldn't pass up when I heard George say earlier that that uh, part of the program would be on Ed, Ed, Edgar
0: Case. Casey. He's one of a kind, I'll tell you that, Shelley. Uh, Casey was uh, a genius, wasn't he?
1: He really was. I mean, the things. That I mentioned earlier, we were talking about how he went into trance accidentally, but once he figured out how to do that, he just brought through so much um, valuable information that we're still benefiting from today
0: in terms Absolutely. of health
1: and the world and everything else.
0: How many books do you have out there now, Shell?
1: Oh, my gosh. I don't know anymore. She stopped,
0: <laughs> stopped counting at, what, 10, 15?
1: Yeah, there's definitely over 20, let's just say. That's remarkable.
0: Quite a few. Well, Shelly, thank you for being on the program. You keep in touch with us, okay?
1: All right, George, I'm grateful for your friendship. Thank you for doing this show. It's so important, and I've just been so grateful to have you as a friend all these years.
0: Absolutely. Shelly Kerr, the name of the book, The Goddess Discovered. Last week during Open Lines on Friday, we got a call from an individual who was talking about uh, my rendition of Telltale Heart, and we have gotten 32 emails from people please asking that we run it. So I'm looking for an appropriate time to do it, and it looks like we're going to do it for you right
7: now. The Telltale Heart by Edgar Allan Poe. True, nervous, very, very dreadfully nervous, I had been in M, But why will you say that I am mad? The disease had sharpened my senses, not destroyed, not dulled them. Above all was the sense of hearing acute. I heard all things in the heaven and the earth. I heard many things in hell. How then am I mad? Hearken and observe how healthily, how calmly I can tell you the whole story. It is impossible to say how first the idea entered my brain, but once conceived, it haunted me day and night. Object there was none. Passion there was none. I loved the old man. He had never wronged me. He had never given me insult, for his gold I had no desire. I think it was his eye. Yes, it was this. He had the eye of a vulture, a pale blue eye with a film over it. Whenever it fell upon me, my blood ran cold, and so by degrees, very gradually, I made up my mind to take the life of the old man, and thus rid myself of the eye forever. Now this is the point. You fancy me mad? Madmen know nothing. But you should have seen me. You should have seen how wisely I proceeded, with what caution, with what foresight, with what dissimulation, I went to work. I was never kinder to the old man than during the week before I killed him. And every night, about midnight, I turned the latch of his door and opened it, oh, so gently. And then, when I had made an opening sufficient for my head, I put in a dark lantern, all closed closed that no light shone out, and then I thrust in my head. Oh, you would have laughed to see how cunningly I thrust it in. I moved it slowly, very, very slowly, so that I might not disturb the old man's sleep. It took me an hour to place my whole head within the opening, so far that I could see him as he lay upon his bed. Ah, would a madman have been so wise as this? And then, when my head was well in the room, I undid the lantern cautiously, oh, so cautiously, cautiously, for the hinges creaked. I undid it just so much that a single thin ray fell upon the vulture eye. And this I did for seven long nights, every night just at midnight. But I found the eye always closed, and so it was impossible to do the work. For it was not the old man who vexed me, but his evil eye. AND EVERY MORNING, WHEN THE DAY BROKE, I WENT BOLDLY INTO THE CHAMBER, AND SPOKE COURAGEOUSLY TO HIM, CALLING HIM BY NAME, IN A HEARTY TONE, AND INQUIRING HOW HE HAS PASSED THE NIGHT. SO YOU SEE, HE WOULD HAVE BEEN A VERY PROFOUND, OLD MAN. INDEED TO SUSPECT THAT EVERY NIGHT, JUST AT TWELVE, I LOOKED IN UPON HIM WHILE HE SLEPT. UPON THE EIGHTH NIGHT, I WAS MORE THAN USUALLY CAUTIOUS IN OPENING THE DOOR. A watch's minute hand moves more quickly than did mine. Never before that night had I felt the extent of my own powers, of my sagacity. I could scarcely contain my feelings of triumph. To think that there I was, opening the door little by little, and he not even to dream of my secret deeds or thoughts. I fairly chuckled at the idea, and perhaps he heard me, for he moved on the bed suddenly, as if startled. Now you may think that I drew back, but no!' his room was as black as pitch with the thick darkness for the shutters were close fastened through fear of robbers and so I knew that he could not see the opening of the door and I kept pushing it on steadily steadily I had my head in and was about to open the lantern when my thumb slipped upon the tin fastening and the old man sprang up in bed crying out who's there I kept quite still and said nothing for a whole hour I did not move a muscle, and in the meantime, I did not hear him lie down. He was still sitting up in the bed listening, just as I have done, night after night, hearkening to the death watches in the wall. Presently, I heard a slight groan, and I knew it was the groan of mortal terror. It was not a groan of pain or of grief. It was the low, stifled sound that arises from the bottom of the soul when overcharged with awe. I knew this sound well. Many a night, just at midnight, when all the world slept, it was welled up from my own bosom, deepening, with its dreadful echo, the terrors that distracted me. I say I knew it well. I knew what the old man felt and pitied him, although I chuckled at heart. I knew that he had been lying awake ever since the first slight noise when he had turned in the bed. His fears had been ever since growing upon him. He had been trying to fancy them, causeless, but could not. HE HAD BEEN SAYING TO HIMSELF, IT IS NOTHING BUT THE WIND IN THE CHIMNEY, IT IS ONLY A MOUSE CROSSING THE FLOOR, OR IT IS MERELY A CRICKET WHICH HAS MADE A SINGLE CHIRP. YES, HE HAD BEEN TRYING TO COMFORT HIMSELF WITH ALL THESE SUPPOSITIONS, BUT HE HAD FOUND ALL IN VAIN, ALL IN VAIN, BECAUSE DEATH IN APPROACHING HIM HAD STALKED WITH HIS BLACK SHADOW BEFORE HIM, AND ENVELOPED THE VICTIM, AND IT WAS THE mournful INFLUENCE OF THE UNPERCEIVED SHADOW THAT CAUSED HIM TO FEEL although he neither saw nor heard to feel the presence of my head within the room. When I had waited a long time, very patiently, without hearing him lie down, I resolved to open a little, a very, very little crevice in the lantern. So I opened it. You cannot imagine how stealthily, stealthily, until at length a simple dim ray, like the thread of the spider, shot from out the crevice and fell upon the vulture eye. It was open wide, wide open, and I grew furious as I gazed upon it. I saw it with a perfect distinctness, all a dull blue with a hideous veil over it that chilled the very marrow in my bones. But I could see nothing else of the old man's face or person, for I had directed the ray as if by instinct precisely upon the damned spot." And have I not told you that what you mistake for madness is but over-acuteness of the sense? Now I say there came to my ears a low, dull, quick sound, such as a watch makes when enveloped in cotton. I knew that sound well, too. It was the beating of the old man's heart. It increased my fury as the beating of a drum stimulates the soldier into courage. But even yet I refrained and kept still. I scarcely breathed. I held the lantern motionless. I tried how steadily I could maintain the ray upon the eve. Meantime, the hellish tattoo of the heart increased. It grew quicker and quicker and louder and louder every instant. The old man's terror must have been extreme. It grew louder. I say louder every moment. Do you mark me well? I have told you that I am nervous. So I am. And now at the dead hour of the night, amid the dreadful silence of that old house, so strange a noise as this excited me to uncontrollable terror. Yet for some minutes longer I refrained and stood still. But the beating grew louder, louder. I thought the heart must burst. And now a new anxiety seized me. The sound would be heard by a neighbor. The old man's hour had come. With a loud yell, I threw open the lantern and leaped into the room. He shrieked once, once only. In an instant, I dragged him to the floor and pulled the heavy bed over him. I then smiled gaily to find the deed so far done. But for many minutes, the heart beat on with a muffled sound. This, however, did not vex me. It would not be heard through the wall. At length, it ceased. The old man was dead. I removed the bed and examined the corpse. Yes, he was stone, stone dead. I placed my hand upon the heart and held it there for many minutes. There was no pulsation. He was stone dead. His eve would trouble me no more. If you still think me mad, you will think so no longer when I describe the wise precautions I took for the concealment of the body. The night waned and I worked hastily, but in silence. First of all, I dismembered the corpse. "'I cut off the head and the arms and the legs. "'I then took up three planks from the flooring of the chamber "'and deposited all between the scantlings. "'I then replaced the board so cleverly, so cunningly, "'that no human eye, not even his, could have detected anything wrong. "'There was nothing to wash out, no stain of any kind, no blood spot, whatever. "'I had been too wary for that. "'When I had made an end of these labors, it was four o'clock, still dark as midnight.' As the bell sounded the hour, there came a knocking at the street door. I went down to open it with a light heart. For what had I now to fear? There entered three men, who introduced themselves with perfect suavity. As officers of the police, a shriek had been heard by a neighbor during the night. Suspicion of foul play had been aroused. Information had been lodged at the police office, and they, the officers, had been deputed to search the premises. I smiled. For what had I to fear? I bade the gentlemen welcome. The shriek, I said, was my own in a dream. The old man, I mentioned, was absent in the country. I took my visitors all over the house. I bade them search, search well. I led them at length to his chamber. I showed them his treasures, secure, undisturbed. In the enthusiasm of my confidence, I brought chairs into the room and desired them here to rest from their fatigues, while I myself... And the wild audacity of my perfect triumph placed my own seat upon the very spot beneath which reposed the corpse of the victim. The officers were satisfied. My manner had convinced them. I was singularly at ease. They sat, and while I answered cheerily, they chatted of familiar things. But ere long, I felt myself getting pale and wished them gone. My head ached, and I fancied a ringing in my ears. But still they sat and still chatted... The ringing became more distinct. It continued and became more distinct. I talked more freely to get rid of the feeling, but it continued and gained definiteness until at length I found that the noise was not within my ears. No doubt I now grew very pale, but I talked more fluently and with a heightened voice, yet the sound increased, and what could I do? It was a low, dull, quick sound, much such as a sound a watch makes when enveloped in cotton. I gasped for breath, and yet the officers heard it not. I talked more quickly, more vehemently, but the noise steadily increased. I arose and argued about trifles in a high key with violent gesticulations, but the noise steadily increased. Why would they not be gone? I paced the floor to and fro with heavy strides as if excited to fury by the observations of the men, but the noise steadily increased. Oh, God, what could I do? I foamed, I raved, I swore. I swung the chair upon which I had been sitting and grated it upon the boards. But the noise arose over all and continually increased. It grew louder, 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 and still the men chatted pleasantly and smiled. Was it possible they heard not? Almighty God, no, no. They heard, they suspected, they knew, they were making a mockery of my horror this I thought, and this I think. But anything was better than this agony. Anything was more tolerable than this derision. I could bear those hypocritical smiles no longer. I felt that I must scream or die. And now, again, hark! Louder! 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 Villains, I shriek, dissemble no more. I admit the deed. Tear up the planks. Here! Here! It is the beating of his hideous heart.
0: There you have it. Dan Galanti, Tom Danheiser, Lisa Lyon, Lex Lonehood, Sean LaDesour, Stephanie Smith, Chris Burrows, Tim Benal, George Knapp, and Ian Punnett. I'm George Norris. Somewhere out there on Coast to Coast AM. We'll see you on our next edition. Until then, be safe, everyone.